Tell you what, let's pray and uh, ask God to bless this time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We have seen the light in you. Thank you. It is by your grace we have been saved through faith. It is not our own works. It is not anything that we have done that earns our favor with you. It is what Jesus has done on our behalf. Thank you for shedding your blood, Jesus, that we might have the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for redeeming us, Lord, through the work of the cross. And Father, I know that this message is a strong one, but Lord, you want to mold us and shape us. You want to conform us into your image. So I pray that you would through these words. And Lord, if we have faltered in any way that we will speak of today, Lord, that we would genuinely repent and come to you knowing that you have forgiven us and desiring to finish the rest of this day and the days ahead of us to walk in the way that you would have us walk. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we, um, we started the book of James about five or six weeks ago. We kind of are taking our time, just kind of chewing on it a little bit. But I would say that the theme has already been given in the book back in verse 22 of chapter 1. It really is the kind of the single verse theme of the whole book. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And that's my warning to all of us today is I don't want any of us to be deceiving ourselves in thinking that going to church on Sunday makes you a Christian. That saying that you're a Christian makes you a Christian. It doesn't. It's in living out what you have already expressed in your heart. It is us being doers of the word and not just hearers only. If these messages over the past few weeks are just sitting and and as soon as you walk out those doors on Sunday morning and you don't think about them again, I would seriously do a gut check and see if you're actually a Christian. I don't want any of us to deceive ourselves. I know that sounds hard, but it's, it's coming from love. It's that I care enough about you to speak the truth. And I don't want anybody in this room to think that, hey, man, I've checked off my church list for the week. I'm good with God. It's so much more than that. The Christian life is a response to what Jesus has done for us. It's the response to the grace of the cross. It's you and I seeing how much Jesus loved us, how much God loves us, that he was willing to give his own life, that we might have the forgiveness of sin. And declaring him as Lord of our lives, we can't just call him Savior. He has to be Savior and Lord if he's anything at all to us. Declaring him as Lord of our lives gives him the authority to tell you and I what to do. Okay, some strong words I'm going to give you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body 
and in your spirit, which are God's. You've been bought at a price. Jesus paid for you with his blood. That makes him the Lord. That gives him the authority to tell us how to live our lives. And that's the book of James. Don't be hearers only. Be doers of the word. Holiness, righteousness are to mark our lives now. We've said it a few times, this phrase. We are to be peculiar people. We should look different than the rest of the world. The church for far too long has tried to look far too hip. We need to be different. And James doesn't let up as we begin chapter 2. I'm just going to read the section that we're going to cover, and then we'll pull it apart. Down from verse 1 to verse 13. James says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, oh, you stand over there, or tell you what, sit on the ground, sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we're going to discuss today, we're going to talk about the what, the why, and a better way. Okay, The what, the why, and a better way. I'm just going to lay all my cards out on the table so you know what's coming next. I'm going to talk about the what, the why, and the better way. First of all, the what. It's pretty plain. I think it's pretty obvious. If you, you should, should be on top of it now. James 2.1, going back to the top of the chapter. My brethren... Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. You and I, as followers of Christ, as we live out the Christian life, what we're, the way that we are to live is without partiality. There's the what. No partiality, no favoritism, no discrimination, even as we treat one another. Our life response to the cross is to be lived out without partiality. And if we're all honest, 
this one's going to sting a little bit. Because in one way or another, in one relationship or another, in one form or another, be it at work, be it here at church, be it with our family, be it with our neighbors, we all show partiality. He's going to give us an example. Verse 2, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. So we have the fine and the filthy. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place. And to the poor man, you stand there and sit, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Partiality can play itself out in two different ways. Partiality in the positive would be favoritism. It's that you're showing that you have a favorite, that you're toward the rich man, you're lifting him up, you're giving him the special place, you're showing him special attention. In those days, as they began to gather at the church, they would often meet in a room that was like the synagogue, and the synagogue was just a basic box, and they would put benches around the outside uh, walls of the of the the synagogue, and that and then as you came in to gather together, those who were affluent, those who had status within the 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 the, the community, were the ones who got to sit on the benches. There weren't a whole lot of seats available, and if you were fell in the, lower in the caste system, if you weren't the popular one, if you didn't have as many Twitter followers, you sat on the floor. That's just the way that, that, that they rolled. And so now James is coming against that. We saw that in our own country as the country began. We see this, this favoritism as, in churches even where they had pew rentals. And the more money you gave to the church, the better seat you got in church. You go to the first church in Philadelphia where George Washington attended, you can tell which pew was his because it was rented. And they would put locks on the pew if you didn't give your money that week. You couldn't have your seat. We're thinking about that. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just playing. We talked about money last week. I'm, I don't want to bring it up again. Forgive me, Lord. But it was evident by where you sat, how popular you were, how much attention you had received. So partiality in the positive is, is favoritism, but partiality in the negative is discrimination. And sadly, we see a lot of that as well. And I think even in our own lives, we tend to discriminate still to some degree. I don't know what the relationship is in your life, or, but I know of some in mine that as I studied this week, I had to do a gut check to say, you know, I, I don't treat them the same that I treat my friends. Discrimination's been around a long, long time, even in this country, based on whatever. Probably the most prominent would be race, that even within the last hundred years, there was discrimination of race, even in the church, sadly. I heard of a story of uh, Billy Graham going to Jackson, Mississippi in 1952 to do one of his crusades. And the people of Jackson, Mississippi actually wanted him to do two separate crusades, one for the white people and one for the black people. 
And when he refused to do that, they finally acquiesced. But when he walked into the auditorium, there was a rope dividing the congregation in half. And the blacks sat on one side and the whites sat on the other. This was before anybody came in. And Billy Graham said, no, we're not doing this. And he himself tore down the ropes because he firmly believed that we are not to show partiality. I'm so grateful that our congregation is diverse. And, uh, it's just a, a blessing to me. It could be race. It could be sexism. It could be religious-based, that we would discriminate against a Muslim. It's not right of us to do. We're called to love. Now, love isn't tolerance. That's what, sorry, I'm going to rabbit trail for a minute, but that's what society would want to teach us today, that love is tolerance. No, love is speaking the truth and letting people know where they are wrong, doing it in a loving way. Both are wrong, the positive favoritism, the negative discrimination Both are wrong, but James is going to kind of focus on the discrimination. So that's the what. We're not supposed to show partiality. The Christian life should be impartial. Let's look at the why, and it's a little more complicated. Verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. So he's focusing now on the poor, those that were discriminated against, saying, hey, you sit on the floor, you go sit, you stand over there. And God, and, and James through, or God through James is saying, God's chosen the poor of this world. And there, there's really two types of poor that God addresses, and he likes both. There are the poor in spirit, where he says in Matthew chapter 5, there in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed, that's a good thing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you're poor in spirit, what that means is you have a recognition of your great dependence upon God spiritually. That you recognize, I am lost without him. I am in desperate need of his saving grace and his mercy. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. But there's also the physically poor, and God has favor upon the physically poor as well. He says in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus, he lifted up his eyes toward heaven. I'm sorry, he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you, poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Certainly, they had left everything they had, and they were poor, physically needy. As we finish chapter one, remember there were no chapter breaks when James wrote the letter, but at the end of chapter one, James addresses those who were poor in their society, the orphans and the widows, those who had no way of caring for themselves. And he says, hey, it's our job as the church to care for them. And he's saying again, now the poor, either the poor physically or the poor in spirit has a special place in God's heart. And we should not discriminate against those based on what you make. I know in my life, my prayer life is up when my bank account is down. (laughs) 
I'm far more spiritual when I'm $1,000 in the hole than $1,000 in the bank. That's something Dave used to say all the time. You know, it was just, yeah. Why? Because I have a greater dependency upon God, both in the spiritual and in the physical. And God promises to meet our needs. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what does he say in Matthew 6? All these things will be added unto you. You don't need to worry about what you're going to wear. You don't need to worry about what you're going to eat. If we seek first the kingdom of God, he's going to meet our need. Guaranteed. Why do we judge people by the car they drive? Or the house they live in? Or the clothes they wear. It says in verse 6, you've dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme, blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? And here we get to the heart of the matter. It's not so much a dollars and cents kind of thing. I don't think that's exactly what James is driving at, but he's talking about those who would dishonor. It just so happens in this culture, in James's culture, the rich seem to do that. Why should we show no partiality? This is strong. You ready? We should show no partiality because when we do, we dishonor God and we show that we don't understand the gospel. When we show partiality, we show that we, or we dishonor God and that we show we do not understand the gospel. We, we fall into the trap time and time again. I do. I think we all do. We, admire, we want to be admired by the rich. Oh, that, that, that this person would notice me. Maybe not the rich financially. Maybe it is the rich financially. You drive by the Beamer 7 series. Just like, can you turn your music up a little bit so you can do the, the head nod? It just helps you to feel good when somebody in a Beamer 7 says hi to you. <laughs> or whatever, whatever it is. We, we want to be admired by the rich. We, wanna, we want them to like us. We want to be like them. We fall into this, this trap, and that is not God's way. Look around the room, y'all. We want to be like them, but look around at us. Look at who we are as a family. Please allow me just a moment to step on some of your awesomeness. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 1 speaking, Paul speaking, for you see your calling, brethren. Not many of you are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things, the poor things of the world. And the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. 
that no flesh should glory in his presence. You and I, we fall into the trap of we, seeking, we seek to give glory and receive glory in the flesh. And God despises that. He intentionally chooses the worst team possible, me and you. It's like the Cavs right now. The Cleveland Cavaliers. Cavaliers. I don't know how they're doing it. But should they win the championship? I know not a lot of you are basketball people, but I'm hoping that you've heard a little bit about what's happening in the NBA right now. There's this guy you probably heard of, LeBron James. They call him the king. But name somebody else on that team. Ain't nobody. There's some guy they named after a a sandwich shop in New York. There's, there's some guy named Smith. Well, that's pretty common. There's some guy from Russia who doesn't spell Timothy right. And then there's some guy who thinks that kid and play is still cool. He's got this fro thing going on from like 1987. If he wins this thing, he's got to be the GOAT, right? Great, greatest player of all time. Everybody's like, oh, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. Okay, well, we'll have that argument at another time. But to take and elevate that team to a championship, that's what God does with you and I. So that it becomes all about him and not about us. God doesn't like glory stealers. You and I seek to do that in the flesh. By showing partiality. We don't show partiality. Do not. That's what we're not to do. That's the what. It dishonors God. It shows we don't fully understand the gospel. He says there at the end of verse 7 that we're called by a noble name. What is that name? We are Christians. Followers of Christ. We are marked by a different lifestyle. We are a peculiar people. We're not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And our showing partiality, we're dishonoring that name. Because in essence, what we're doing is cozying up to those who hate that name. We're trying to get in bed People who hate Jesus. And that's what it's all about. Slavery is snuggling up to the one who abuses you. We as Christians do it all the time with this book. Don't conform any longer. It is utter foolishness that we would try to show partiality to the, the things of this world. That we would discriminate against those who God has chosen. Let me try to illustrate why showing partiality is foolishness. Hopefully this will help us figure out. We got any, anybody that's going to youth camp? Put your hand up. Anybody? 
Bryce, come on up here, man. Can you come up here? Will you, will you volunteer for this? Will you be willing? It, it's, it's worth your time, man. It's worth your time. See, I, I'm going to make it worth your time right now. Oh. Would you like this $20 bill? Not really. No, say yes. Yeah. yeah okay, good. We didn't work this out beforehand. $20 bill. Okay, brand new, pretty crisp, pretty shiny, right? Yeah. Nice $20 bill. Mm. It, mm. To take to camp, that'd be nice for the sugar shack. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, hold on. I'll give it to you. Wait, wait. Okay. Now, do you still want the $20 bill? I do. Okay. Oh, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on a second. A little mud. I did bring a paper towel. But do you, do you still want the, the, the... Why? It's still $20, right? All right. Take that to camp. Now, here's the thing. You can't show partiality with it. So you go to the Sugar Shack, you buy some stuff for all the people there. Send it out. All right, man. God bless you. So what... I just wanted to play in the dirt. That was fun. He wanted the 20 bucks, whether it was a brand new dollar bill, $20 bill, or if it had been crumpled up and stomped upon, or if it had been dragged through the mud. Why? Because the value didn't change, did it? It's the value of the $20 bill is not based upon the condition of the $20 bill. The value of the $20 bill is based on the fact that it's stamped with the Federal Reserve. The value of the $20 bill is not based on the condition. It's based on what backs the $20 bill. That is our federal government. And I'm not going to argue about that at this moment either. The point being, it doesn't matter the condition of the bill. And it doesn't matter the condition of you or I either. Our value is not based upon our condition. Our value is based upon who backs us. And that's Jesus. And that's God. From the very first page of the Bible, God made sure that we understand that we are distinct among all his creation. Flip there real quick. Turn to the first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. I want you to see this with your own eyes. We go through the six days of creation. And we get to the end. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the, all the earth, so that, or over every creeping thing, that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Our intrinsic value is not based upon what condition the, that life has brought us to at this very moment. 
whether you've had a great life and haven't had many bumps and bruises along the road, or if you've been beaten at every turn, your value is not based upon that. Your value is based upon the fact that God has breathed himself into you. That we were created in the image of God. And that's where we get our worth. And that's where we get our value. I don't... People want to dissect the six days and, and argue about evolution based upon whether they were six actual 24-hour days or if they were broken into ages or different things like that. And, and I think if you want to argue about that, have at it. This is the verse where I would say, how could evolution ever be possible? Because there is no movement from the animal kingdom to the human kingdom because the difference between the animal kingdom and what God has made in man is that God has breathed himself into us, that we were created in the image of God. The animals were not. And from that, we get our worth. So not only is partiality dishonoring to God, it's actually anti-gospel. When we show partiality, we are actually working against what God is trying to do. It not only defames him, it actually works against what God is trying to do. And so what is the better way? I've shown you the what and the why, hopefully. We've got our minds around that. Now the better way, the last portion of our scripture the better way is love. The better way is mercy. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. He's not mincing words here. He's telling us flat out, Favoritism, discrimination, sin. And you're convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole of the law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. That's how, that helps us to understand what exactly is happening when the law is broken. We need to envision the law like a chain. And on each link of the chain is a different of one of God's laws that can be broken when we sin. And that chain is connected on two different ends, keeping our life to, to the law. When we break any one of those chain links, it breaks the whole chain. So many of us, and I think I fell into this category before I knew Christ as well, so many of us think that if I just do a good job, if I stay ahead of the curve, if I'm, do, if I'm 50, you know, in the 51st percentile of people on the earth, then God's going to show favor to me and I'll get into heaven. And what James is saying, remember this is the half-brother of Jesus himself, what James is saying is no, 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 no. It's not like that at all. If you break any portion of the law, you've broken the whole of the law. The chain has fallen. So the, the, 
the requirement that God has placed on our life is perfection. Anybody here perfect? Good. Because if you raised your hand, you'd be lying. And what I'm afraid of is that one of the greatest ways we show partiality is to ourselves. We put more favor upon ourselves than we do anybody else, especially when it comes to the justification of our sin. Oh, wasn't that bad? I only did it one time. Nobody got hurt, which is always a lie when it comes to sin. Because it hurts you, if nobody else. We justify, we... We, we say, oh, I, I won't, I'll make up for it, right? We think that, that like that, I'll, I'll read my Bible three hours tomorrow. <laughs> that shows we don't understand the gospel. So we are to show mercy. Verse 12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, saying that one day you and I will stand before Jesus and based upon the mercy we have shown, we will, we will be measured by the measure that we use, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. We are to extend mercy to one another and even mercy to ourselves. We get our perspective, and I mentioned this last week or the week before as well. We get our perspective from Matthew chapter 18, the, 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 the story of the man who had been forgiven much and then goes to his brother and wants to exact the debt. We, we keep in mind all that we have been forgiven of, and in that perspective, the overwhelming grace that God has given in our lives, with that in our, the forefront of our brains, we act in love, we press out in mercy to those around us. Because as the last phrase says, mercy triumphs over judgment. It has in my life. The grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ at the cross triumphs over the judgment that I so rightly deserve because of the sin I've committed, because I broke the chain. When my heart is around that idea, my head is engaged upon that idea, then we're to live by the law of love and we're to extend mercy to one another, showing no partiality. They said, the ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. Where we all find ourselves. Let's not fall back into a caste system when God has worked and done so much to level that out. It doesn't say in John 3.16 that God so loved some of us 
God so loved his favorites. God so loved the world. And if he did, so should we. Michelle and I got away for a couple days uh, this week. Um, we went over to Indianapolis and had the opportunity to fellowship with uh, senior pastors from the Great Lakes region, Calvary <coughs> Chapel. It was a time of refreshing. It was a time of uh, just being poured into. Don McClure came and spoke, who uh, started with Calvary Chapel in 1971. I think, if I've got the story right, he was like the first person Costa Mesa hired back when Calvary Chapel got started and has been with Calvary Chapel since 1971. Just Phenomenal man of God and, and the way the Lord has used him. But he used, God used him this weekend to speak into mine and Michelle's life in, in many ways. And one of the things that he said, he was friends with Alan Redpath. Alan Redpath is just uh, this strong, strong, strong man of God. And Don was friends with him. And Don used to try to come up with questions that would stump him. You know, he was a younger guy. He was in his 20s. Alan was in his 40s or 50s. And he, so he, he went once, one time and said, Alan... Who are the enemies of the church? And Alan Redpath came back and he said, there are no enemies of the church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. The only enemy of the church is the church itself. When we show partiality, when we discriminate or show favoritism, we're just hurting ourselves. Let's set it aside. Let's strive for holiness. Let's love with genuine love. And you know what? It can begin right now. As we go back there in fellowship, maybe it's time you talk to somebody that you always felt like you were afraid to talk to. Maybe you love somebody that you didn't feel like loving before today. Let's love one another the way Christ loves us. Let's stand this closing prayer before I get all teary-eyed. Yeah. Lord, we do love you, and we love that you love us, and it is through the cross, the sacrifice that Jesus, you made on the cross, that we can come. Lord, that's what, that's the favor upon us all. It is by your, the bloodshed that we are, have the forgiveness of sin. I pray for anybody in this room who does not yet have a relationship with you, who would say, I'm not a Christian. How do I respond? I pray for them right now. I speak to them right now and say, Understand it is only by grace that you can come. And if you have questions about whether or not you truly are a Christian, even if you've been coming for a long time, there's a story of the head of deacons who got saved on a Wednesday night, not in this church, but in another. Come forward, talk with people. Let's work this out today. Lord, continue to work in our hearts. And where we have shown partiality, we thank you for the blood of Christ that forgives us. And I pray that we would move forward in holiness and genuineness, Lord, loving all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.